Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're presenting a gospel. We're presenting a a movement. We're presenting knowledge that is engaging and transforming. We are here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do that. Primary way, if you want to get your thoughts on the air, you can call 347-237-5230. That is the number to call to get the thoughts on the air and share in the dialogue if you would like to do so. Also, you can go to the chat room. Um, not sure if it's open yet. I, I think it might be up. Mm, yeah, it is. So you can go to the chat room and... Uh, Get your thoughts in there. You can follow us on our Facebook page, Zero Network. Oh, what is this? Uh, okay. Well, yeah. All right. Zero Network at on Facebook. So you can you can go there. Also, um, we are on Twitter at Zero Radio. So you can uh, share us share with us there. Also, and you can hit me up personally. Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail.com. Those are the ways you can get on, get in touch with us, and um, share your thoughts on uh, any topic we'll be discussing um, on the show or anything you think we could discuss on the show. We welcome that also. Uh, I'm excited today. This is the last day of May, and uh, uh I just celebrated my 42nd birthday this past Sunday, and I'm talking a little bit about that because it's been a wonderful month for me, and I just want to share some things uh, I may have shared before, but let me go share a little bit more. Uh, As I celebrated 25 years of ministry, so I'm going to be sharing some reflections over those uh, that I've learned over the past 25 years and some expectations that I, I, I have for myself and I think what my ministry would look like in an you know upcoming future. But I'll share that. Um before we go any further, uh we'll go to the Lord in prayer. There's some good headlines that I really want to talk about also um 
as we go forward. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your loving kindness. Thank you, O oh God, for this opportunity again to share this broadcast. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, um, I, as I said before, I'm celebrating 25 years in ministry, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but um, uh, I'm, I'm excited about some of the things uh, that have gone on. But I got a couple of headlines that I want to I want to address, um, particularly, uh, there's a lot of violence going on. Um, and I want to I solicit your prayers for the families, not just of those who were victims of terrorist attacks in Manchester, England, on last week, uh, but here we've had violent attacks in the States, a stabbing in um, one place. And here in Mississippi, we've had a mass, a serial murder, murderer. He, um, killed eight people um it's it's just tragic and we've had um had a lot of tragedies here so families uh are really in need of i'm 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 gonna put this out here you know if you know someone who needs help uh who has mental health issues or maybe dealing with an issue emotionally you know encourage that person to go get help Encourage them to see a counselor. I know in the black community that's still a taboo thing, and I know we come to church for counseling, and but the pastor really isn't equipped to deal with the real issues. And you know, we need more than a scripture and a prayer. Our pastors need to be trained, and I'm a trained counselor, trained trained counselor, and trained therapist. And people get surprised when they come here. They come to me for counseling, and they, you know, they got to fill out an application. <laughs> they have to go through the intake process. They have to go through the assessment process. And, you know, I explain to them what this looks like, what they will, what they can expect. And yes, we pray. And yes, you know, I may give scripture, you know, we do interventions and all of that stuff. And they, they're surprised, but they're the better for it because they actually have an environment where they can, you know, they can share and they can explore these issues that they are experiencing, and they can do all of that without judgment, and that's a good thing. And um, but we still have to do more to encourage them uh, to go get the help that they need, because right now with the way the world is set up, and May has been designated as Mental Health Awareness Month, and um, I I believe we do. Too great disservice, too great a disservice to our people by discouraging them from seeking the help that they need. There's a young man who um, uh, went on a rampage, killed, killed his lover, and killed his mother's children, uh, the, the mother of his children, and himself. And you know, and we we all we were all caught off guard because this person was at church Sunday morning, and then. Sunday night, early Monday morning, committed this great, this this great act, you know, this murder. And I was pondering to myself, how could this person have been in church Sunday morning, have heard the word of God preached, and yet still 
committed such a crime? How could that have happened? That was preventable. It could have been prevented. And I, I, I uh, you know, my heart was guilty because I feel like we're not doing enough. I, even myself, you know, what I, what I have known, what I have been able to discern, his condition, his emotional condition, at that moment in church, probably not. But it is what it is, and I think we have to do a, a better job of of that. Well, as you know, summer is, for the most part, as the summer comes, is convention season for a lot of people. You know, you have your summer conferences. You have the Hampton Ministers Institute. You have um, convention. They do their uh, annual meeting. You have um, Christian Education Congresses that take place with the Baptists and the Amy Church and you know, the it's 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 convention season. More people and and I think I'm not sure, but I think TD Jake still does the mega fest doing some. I don't know. I haven't been in a while. But um, as as convention season comes, you have um, there's always something going on. But there's uh, there's a couple of things that's happening that have caught my attention. Uh, one, being the Church of God in Christ, um, and the Church in Christ, Church of God in Christ. Um, if you know, if you have been to their auxiliary um, meeting, you know um, that they do. Um, what do they call it? Uh, aim. Um, the auxiliaries in ministry. I think that's right. But anyway, they do a summer meeting. But this will be the last time um, the uh, uh, general supervisor, Mother Willie Mae Rivers, this will be her last um, official meeting. She um, she's stepped down, and, and they're going to honor her. Um, she's been there for a while. I think I've forgotten how long. She's been a part of this or a leading, but it's been a long time because I remember back in the day seeing um, when I used to go to these meetings, uh, try to get my shout on and meet famous gospel artists. (laughs) Uh, But she's the, um, she was, she was the, the, Supervisors, mothers, I guess you can say. I don't know. But uh, I think she was in the role for about 20, 20 years. I, I won't, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to look. You can, I know I saw this on the old black church. I'm not sure if I saw it yesterday or I saw it this morning or, or Sunday. Uh, but I know it's around there sometime. Oh, man, I got, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to scratch too much, man. I I got told by mosquitoes this on this weekend being outside Memorial Day. Uh, it says anyway. So this is they're honoring her and they're gonna be singing, asking all the women to wear orange and all of this, um, all of that. So that's a wonderful thing. Uh, the, the second thing is um. It's a stated earlier, the Southern Baptist Commission holds their meeting in annually, and um, one of the more prominent black ministers in that convention as part of that uh, convention, uh, Reverend uh, Dwight McKissick, um, 
native Arkansan, <laughs> Pine Bluffian, uh, pastor of Cornerstone Church there in the greater uh, Dallas metro area, Dallas Fort Worth metro area. Um, he he's been a prominent voice in the H and the Southern Baptist Convention for a number of years, um, and. You know, I'm surprised he hadn't been elected president yet. I'm not sure if he even tried. But anyway, um, in the midst of the chaotic, the chaotic relations between the evangelical Baptist, the evangelical white Christians, and the Republican Party, and um, now what's called the alt right movement, it it appears that a lot of the White Christians, white evangelical Christians, um, most are affiliated with the Baptists, the Southern Baptists. That's the, you know, really the driving force before, between behind a lot of them. Not all, but a lot. Um, but most are beginning to identify loosely or very intimately with this alt-right movement. And the alt-right uh, is this ultra conservative movement, right-wing movement. And it's basically, uh, it's not quite the Klan, and it's not quite white supremacy, but the ideology is that uh, white people are not superior, but white people are the better people. And maybe that's not even the best way to phrase that, uh, because they're not directly saying um, they don't believe in racism per se, but they believe that um, to some way, to some extent, that white people um, uh, are are the needed vessels for this country. You can't, you know, so they fight against all the what they consider white oppression, white male oppression, to be more specific. Um, the idea that um, society, the culture is trying to go against the white male. They're trying to wipe out the white male image. And anyway, so um, uh, Pastor McKissick has uh, uh, devised or uh, created a resolution, written a resolution on the condemnation of the alt-right. And I got this story from um, – BlackChristianNews.com, so you can go there and uh, you can find the story there. But he submitted a, res a resolution on the condemnation of the alt-right movement and the roots of white supremacy. And uh, again, the, um, the resolution in this entirety can be found on BlackChristianNews.com. And let me read a little bit about it. Scripture teaches, whereas Scripture teaches that from one man God made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their boundaries of their habitation, according to Acts 17.26. And whereas the prophet Isaiah foresaw the day when the Lord would judge between the nations and render decisions for many people, whereas the promise of the heavens includes the eternal blessings of the tree of life for God's people, which includes the healing of the nations that come from the leaves of that tree, and whereas the supreme need of the world is the acceptance of God's teaching in all the affairs of men and nations and the practical application of his law of love. And I like this. Whereas all Christians are under obligation to seek 
to make the will of Christ supreme in their own lives and the human society opposing all forms of race and in human society opposing all forms of racism, selfishness, and vice and bringing government and society as a whole under the way of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. He goes on, but here's the resolution. That here's This is the resolution. Be it resolved that the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, June the 13th through the 14th, 2017, denounces every form of nationalism that violates the biblical teachings with respect to race, justice, and ordered liberty, and be it further resolved that we reject the retrograde ideologies, xenophobic biases, and racial bigotries of the so-called alt-right that seek to subvert our government, destabilize society, and infect our political system, and be it finally resolved that we earnestly pray for pray both for those who lead and advocate this movement and those who are thereby deceived that they may see their error through the light of the gospel, repent of their perverse nationalism, and come to know the peace and love of Christ through redeemed fellowship in the kingdom of God, which is established from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. The question is, will that resolution be passed on the floor of the convention? Will it even make it to the floor of the convention? It, it, it's, you know, the reason I bring this up is because since the election of Donald Trump, matter of fact, since the entire campaign of President Trump, uh, then candidate Trump and now President Trump, what has happened is this zeal for nationalism and it's not just here in the states we're seeing it over in in european nations too um france <laughs> they were they were going for it germany was almost going for falling for it and uh, britain has fallen for it this idea of nationalism and um i can understand it over there because they have their identity they have a sing- just a singular identity Mostly in Europe, you know, you're Italian, you're British, you're Scottish, <laughs> you're part, uh, you're Irish, you, you understand, you know, you're German. But here in the States, it's not like that. Here in the States, we are, we were born of melting pot. They came over, yes, the pilgrims, the, or whatever you want to call them, the Puritans, the Pur- pilgrims, they came over. They came over and they established their order here, but there were people here, indigenous to this country, had their own way. And yes, they acclimated and they adapted, some by force, but some by choice. And then you bring in those persons from Africa, and we adapted, mostly by force and some by choice. And, you know, during the great... Migrations from wherever, you know, people came from Germany, people came from Italy, people came from around the world and settled in this great country and made it what it is. And the more diverse this country has become, the greater sense of xenophobia, xenophobia, excuse me, has has manifested. And you had Kennedy Trump openly talked about Mexicans like Hey, 
bad people. Go to the United States. They, he said they send their, and then he, he said they send their robbers. They send their blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. As if Mexican presidents, the Mexican president was, or leaders were saying, hey, go over there. Cause trouble. Make Mexico look bad. <laughs> really. But what, what, that wasn't so bad if the white evangelical Christians had not embraced it. You know, they openly embraced the xenophobia, the racism, the misogyny that Donald Trump presented. And they said, well, we can overlook that because we, we're more concerned about country. We're more concerned about our jobs. We're more concerned about the economy. We're more concerned about the, who he can appoint on the Supreme Court. That's what it's really all about. And we can overlook all of the other stuff because it does not directly affect us. Yes, it may be inconvenient. It may be some very, very negative rhetoric for people of color, minorities, and all this stuff. But for us, you know, it's really about us getting us back. When he talks about making America great again, who are we talking about? I know Ronald Reagan used the same language. Bill Clinton used the same language. Uh, George Bush, I don't think he used the same language. But had Obama used that language, <laughs> that wouldn't have flown. That that wouldn't fly. <laughs> uh, but but what it is, and um, the problem you you know you had pastors like uh, Dr. Jeffers out of Dallas, who some way shifted his entire personality. Uh, well, I won't even say personality, but the candor of his rhetoric from the pulpit. If you listen to some of his broadcasts, you can hear it. His most recent broadcast, you can really hear it. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it now without saying it. And then you had the young man who's the leader of the alt right movement. I can't think of his name, Richard something, I believe. But anyway, he he was sucker punched. <laughs> uh, he he was sucker punched, right? And it went viral. But to get these white people to admit to the fact that they're buying into this subtle racism, this subtle um, xenophobia, this ideology, this bigotry that they are masking it under the term of persecution. And I'm like, look, y'all not being persecuted. You're, You're not... You're not being killed. You're not being jailed. You're not being fined for being a white Christian. Matter of fact, you have a greater voice. I mean, you already own your own Christian television stations that are multi-million dollar, some even billion dollar industries. You know, the idea that that this is this is happening. And it's not really affecting anyone else. It's, it's horrible. But there are plenty of people who are falling for it. And I'm just glad that um, Reverend McKissick, uh, Pastor McKissick, has taken the, taken the initiative to put this out there. But again, I'm asking the question. Oh, I'm asking the question. Will this pass? On the floor of a convention, will they be true to themselves and say, you know, there is a faction of our 
of our denomination. There are those in our belief. There are those in our network. There are those in our churches who are buying into this because of fear. They believe honestly and sincerely that the world is 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 changing to disenfranchise them. They believe honestly and sincerely that they are not racist even when they say racist things. I, I like to say this. I've had a few friends of mine who are white and they count me as a friend. And when I say count, I mean literally count like the only black friend that they have. And I'm not a typical black, you know, I'm, mo- I'm really conservative in my dress and in my behavior and what I listen to. So I'm a good black friend, <laughs> you know, I'm a good black, I'm a good black friend. I'm highly educated professional. I'm a good, safe black friend. But they wouldn't probably say that about my brothers. <laughs> you know, they probably wouldn't be comfortable around some of my siblings. Especially the ones that have a, you know, they've been in prison. The ones who ain't so holy. The ones who don't wear a certain tie. You know, the ones who got gold teeth. Tattoos. Well, I have a tattoo. You just can't see it. <laughs> or others that I'm affiliated with. You know, and those are the things that I believe you know, this kind of thing the church needs to speak up and uh, and address. And and uh, if you're in the Jackson, matter of fact, if you're in the Jackson area, I want to take this time to invite you to come to uh, this multi-ethnic conference that we're having here in the city of Jackson called Embrace Conference, and it'll be held beginning on uh, Friday, June the 1st, um, June 2nd, and goes on to Sunday, June the 4th. On Friday, um, there'll be a little get-together and the speaker on Saturday, uh, workshops, and the guest speaker will be the renowned Dr. John Perkins, one of my heroes, and uh, uh, he'll be giving a talk. And then on Sunday, the 4th, will be a night of worship, a unity worship service. And that will, all of this will be held on the campus of Christ United Methodist Church here in the city of Jackson on Old Cannon Road. And if you need any more information, you can go to my Facebook page. I have the information for the conference there. But we have to be more assertive in combating this rising ideology of bigotry, racism, closeted racism. And if the church, particularly the, if the persons in the white evangelical church, and I'm not talking about the, the denomination, but the white evangelical Christians, if they are, can, are so passionate about their country, if they're so passionate about making America great again, if they're so concerned about what they're seeing as threats against their faith, persecution against their faith, what they need to do, doing what they're doing. Stop going against it and embrace the diversity. Now, you ain't got to. I mean, (laughs) I don't agree with the Supreme Court's ruling on same-sex marriage, 
but I understand that you know it's the law. My church, I'm thankful for it. We will not be practicing and observing it. Thank God. And you don't have to either. There's no penalty for it. When we pass as as when we as legisl- state legislators who are largely Christian here in the South pass laws that are openly discriminatory, discriminating against people of color or orientation, sexual orientation and gender. We're not helping the cause. Matter of fact, you, you're giving more ammunition to those who say you are hateful people. And I know a lot of these these persons who are engaged in, you know, who are buying into this rhetoric as uh, Pastor uh, McKissie writes, who are not rejecting it, who are not understanding that it's trying to subvert uh, what is really try need to be happening. They are they are sincerely blind. They're sincerely blind, and because of that, they are unwilling to really um, see and do what needs to be seen and done. But anyway, I wasted enough time on that. <laughs> Let me take a break, and um, I'm going to get into uh, what I really need to talk about anyway. <laughs> uh, 25 years of ministry reflection. But um, before I go to the break, I, again, I, mean, I want to strongly encourage you, you know, go to blackchristiannews.com, share the resolution, uh, openly discuss it with your friends that are, uh, um, are black and white. Create the dialogue that's necessary. Bring it out in the opening. Get it out of the closet. Get it out of the church. Bring it into the public sphere so we can radically serve the living Savior who loves all and who is love and encourages us to love all. Yeah, so that's what I got to say. Um, Take a quick break, and I'll be back right after this. just the stress of moving. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. It's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. And we covered it February 3rd, 2016. Talk to Farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. 
We've covered it. February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Churches, 
So he had one church in the city where I lived and another church uh, about 20 minutes away. And, you know. But anyway, I shadowed him. I learned about the craft before I preached my first sermon. Um, and I like to joke, my pastor scheduled my first sermon on a Thursday evening. At the close of, you know, going – we weren't out of school, but I think we may have had about a month of school going into my senior year in high school. Uh, so my junior year in high school, I'm preaching my first sermon, uh, even though I had been speaking at youth days and um, youth programs and all kinds of stuff. I had been doing that. I had a wonderful speechwriter, Ms. Daisy McGee. Uh, she wrote a lot of the early speeches I did when I was 13 and 14. Uh, and by the time I was 15 and 16, I was writing my own messages. Excuse me. But she had some well-crafted messages that I still have hold on to. Right? I left the 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 nest when I went to college. That's when I really began to understand what ministry was. I got around like-minded kids, college students. We were band students, football players, uh, choir students. Choir members, you know, and all kinds of just we we met, we ministered to each other, we prayed, and I got a sense of what it was really like outside of the confinement of being, you know, just a, a youth preacher at a church, and I got a broader sense of what I should be doing. I was around preachers, um, one in particular, who later or, or served on my presbytery. As I was ordained when I was 20, I turned 20, and um, I found out what it was like to have a gifting in ministry and to know that just because you have a ministry gift doesn't necessarily guarantee you successful ministry. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people who operated in specific giftings, you know, not just preaching, but, uh, you know, spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, you know, healings and all of that. And the reality was, you know, that didn't guarantee them a successful ministry. I was able to be able to operate in those, in my gifting, in my gift, uh, in my gifts, in places that were <laughs> other people were rejected. I was preaching in churches where they didn't want to, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, young preachers were pretty much not really accepted. You know, you were accepted, but you you didn't get a lot of preaching time. I learned how to be a good associate, you know, a good assistant, a good how how to sit and learn. And I guess because my pastor allowed me to do it as a child. You know, between 12 and 16, um, I learned how to, you know, I learned how to be humble. I learned how to sit and wait. <laughs> and it, I, I, I really learned, particularly during my college formation years, that ambition has a place, but ambition should not be your driving force. There's nothing wrong with ambition. I'm still learning that now. It's it's wonderful to have ambition. You need to have ambition, you know, but don't let ambition be your driving force. I look at a lot of preachers now that I know that I grew up with around, um, and because ambition was some of their driving force, 
was their driving force, you know, um, they got caught up in scandal pretty quickly, pretty early. Um, I I didn't have that. I was fortunate I didn't have that. And I'm glad I'm still covered, praise God. But there are a lot of people who, a lot of preachers, especially younger preachers, and even more so now than before, because with the advent of social media and uh, all the things that you can do now to make your platform larger, the ambition is is become a it can become a dangerous thing. So over the years, I really learned how to use ambition not as a weapon, but how to use ambition not just as a drive, but as a means of grace. Because God gives you ambition, and if you have that means of grace, you, if you see that as a means of grace, then you know you understand that God will set you in appointed places at appointed times and you don't have to you don't have to create it you don't have to force it to happen um probably the biggest thing that I've learned over the last 25 years particularly having pastored 20 of those 25 years is that what you see now is not what will be later what you see now is not what will be later. What we see will eventually change. It could change for the good or it could change for the bad. But it will change. There, there's That's one consistent thing that I've learned. It will change. Um, I went through a divorce, and it was traumatic emotionally. And I felt it affecting my ministry, not just my personal life, but, you know, when we were going through that process, the separation and all that, all the things that involved with that, uh, I could see it. Now I was still preaching some fiery sermons. The the word was going forth, but I could still see the intangible effect of it. You know, the intangible effect was that people recognized that my sermons were coming from another place. They weren't coming from a place of Oh, God is victory and, you know, this like that. No, it was coming from another place. And also, I realized realized that the more I let that affect me, it also affected my ministry. And sometimes, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, sometimes the ramifications could be down the line. It wasn't always an immediate effect, but I could see it. And so I had to learn that whenever change happens, whatever kind of change happens, that the Lord has already pretty much known about it and made a path for, you know, you can walk the path or you can create your own. You can have it less stressful. You can make it stressful. How it, it will be, it will be. But I have seen that most times a lot of young preachers, and we have I have this young man now who uh we're mentoring in ministry and he he has a wonderful ministry engaging people in the community where he is serving. But the problem is, you know, that that people are <laughs> that particular group are not used to it. And he already knows that he won't be because, you know, we're itinerary, so he already knows he's not gonna be here long. But his ambition is greater than his commission right now. 
His commission is not what he wants it to be. He's creating opportunities. At least it appears to us, and we're trying to ring him in, trying to restrain him. And, and some are saying, well, why, why restrain him? Why restrict him? Just let him go. It's like, you don't want to do that. I know what it's like to just let people go. If my, and I think about this, you know, I've served under several pastors, uh, three actually, three particularly, um, and the three that I that I served under, the three that had the greatest impact on my ministry, you know, my father in ministry, my father in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and the pastor who ordained me in the Baptist Church, all of three of them. Had the same type of, and well, and the other one who's passed away, um, all four of them, all four of them had the same type of hold on me. And it wasn't a bad hold. It was like with my dog, you know, you got a leash. You can go so far, but the leash is for you not to go away. It's not, it, it, it's not to hold you back, but it's allow you to get as far as you need to go so that you won't. You know, break it off. And I had pastors who were like that. And I'm grateful for them because if they had not done that, put those restraints on me, restrictions on me, and parameters, um, there's no telling what I would have done. <laughs> That's the God truth. You know, we have a lot of people who, who have ambition again. Ambition and commission are different. You know, your ambition does not com- create your commission. And I uh, I want as a a bishop uh, Bishop Robin Franklin Robin E Franklin and um, y'all check her out um, I follow her on Facebook wonderful woman of God and um, I'm going to make sure that I let her know that I mentioned her in this broadcast she she talks about ministry and she talks about uh, a lot she covers a lot I wish I could. Unpack all of the stuff, some of the things she said over the years that I've been able to uh, take in. But when she's teaching and she's giving out, she's talking about ministry parameters, you know, um, things that you should know, things, basic things that preachers should know that are not being taught now, you know, basic decorum. Decorum, you know, basic etiquette, ministry etiquette, you know, who waits on who <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, you don't demand certain things just because you have a title. And I, I again, going back to gifts that I know I operated in and flowed in over the years, um, did not demand that because I function in this particular capacity that I deserve this particular treatment. It doesn't doesn't work like that, but there are a lot of people do. Um, but anyway, going back to this, when she teaches on this, she she makes sure she does it out of love. Those who she's sharing is with to let them know that it's not about beating you down. It's not about holding you in or reining you in per se, as much as it's about empowering you to engage those who really need your ministry. And I'm learning, and I have learned over the years, you know, the ministry is not about me, but it's about others. The more I do for me, the less I do for others. If I'm only concerned about how good I look, how good I sound, or how how many titles I have, 
then what it says is that um, that is what I am about. But I should be about Christ. I should only be preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. I should only be leading people to the cross. Only be empowering persons in their spiritual gifts, helping them be free to function in those gifts to the honor and glory of God and the edifying of God's people. If I am not doing that, then I am not doing what I'm called to do. Now, 25 years is a long time to have realized this. But for far too many people, young people in ministry, will never get the proper mentoring that they need. They'll get people who will, and I'm sad to say this, there are a lot of people out there who are perpetrating as mentors who really aren't. They're predators. They need people feeding their ego. And I'm not one of those. I, I don't ever hope to be one. And uh, But I know a lot of them like that. And as I stated before, I, I was privileged to have men and women of God who were able to help me understand my function, not just as pastor. And even after 20 years of pastoring, I am still learning. You know, you, there there's still plenty to learn. You don't know it all. Now, as far as future expectations, this is this is just me. I um, within the last five to ten years, really, um, I have learned more of my role. More particularly within the last five years, I've learned what my role is. I've always been engaged politically. I've always been engaged socially. Um, I'm a nerd, so. I'll, Academically, that's <laughs> I've always been, you know, engaged that way. Also, now I'm understanding how those functions work to benefit the ministry. So, what do I expect now? I mean, there's a collaboration between those efforts. You know, the social, political, uh, economic, and fiscal empowerment of people. You know, social, economic, political empowerment of people. Right now, I'm functioning more in the social political arena. You know, and I'm doing the advocacy things. Um, I'm 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 going to the state capitol. I'm involved in in um in particular uh, specific um, areas. Of advocacy, gun violence prevention, domestic violence prevention, uh, um, uh, prison reform, uh, criminal justice reform, and now also uh, recovery communities, communities of recovery, and and you know I'm seeing the need for that now because I'm serving as a community pastor. My my doctorate being in community counseling. All branch that together, you know, and you know, I'm like, man, I got all these degrees, how they're functioning, but more I see, you know, as an educator, I'm bringing that component into the ministry, as a therapist and counselor, I'm bringing that component into the ministry, and of course, as a pastor and community leader, I'm bringing that component in ministry, and I'm seeing it, I'm seeing the branches and the vines reach out, 
I'm just connected to the true vine. And because I'm connected to the true vine, I'm able to have a greater sense of realist, a uh, greater sense of purpose. So I don't expect a change per se. My ministry, uh, I'm not trying to change my ministry. I'm not trying to, you know, I understand I may have to adapt as things change, you know, the components of how they will function or the ways of how that would function. I understand that. Um, and I look at particular personalities, uh, preacher personalities like Creflo Dollar, like T.D. Jakes, like Rod Parsley, like um, – <clears throat> Wells, several I could name, um, who have stood the test price. Yeah. Those guys have stood the test of time as far as ministry, television ministry, and uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, he's one of them also. And I, I know these are more, uh, these are really word of faith and Pentecostal, but the, that's the, the sphere of influence right now in that, in the um Television world, Christian television world. But anyway, you see how they their ministries have managed to adapt with the technology. The message has also, in some ways, adapted. They're less. I don't hear them talk as much about what they used to talk about. They still might have the money thing going on, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. When you understand how time. If you really just, if you really woke, <laughs> the term that's going around now, if you really woke, then you understand that as you grow older, the change that you really don't want happen will happen. Your message will adjust itself, progresses. And so I'm, I'm preparing for that. I understand, you know, next 25 years of ministry, <laughs> think about it now. I, I'll still be in my uh, 60s. And there's something. I'll still have a little more time to enjoy ministry if the Lord allows. If the, Jesus doesn't come quickly and, uh, you know, allows another 25 years of ministry, I'll reflect back on this this period and say, wow, what change has been, has come. But I'm ready for it. I'm willing to adjust for it. And I hope that God will allow me to be able to to um, continue in this thing, and, and stated, you know, the average pastor really, the average person who starts in ministry usually quits after about ten years. The average person who starts in pastoral ministry lasts only about seven years. So five years is a major accomplishment, and I'm glad I had my family and friends from across the country come and celebrate with me, and those who. Well, you can still give, <laughs> but it, it's it's a it's a warming thing to know uh, that the hand of the Lord is on you, and you're able to do this thing for as long as I've been doing it. And so I'm just excited. Um, now, for the future, uh, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. Many things about tomorrow. I can't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. All right, I got to get out of here. Um, we'll be back next week, the Lord wills. And um, so we want to make sure that you hit us up 
and make sure you get listen to any archive show. Go um, Zero Network on Facebook, and you can listen to all the archive shows as far back as we got them. Also, Radio Zero Today, you can listen to your archive show. You can download it on the iTunes. Uh, it's available as a download if you want to, and listen to all of them wherever you go. Also, make sure you hit us up all over our social media outlets. Make sure you get in touch with me. Uh, you have the information available to you if you want to do that. All I know is I'm glad to be in the number one more time. So I got to get out of here. Until next week, make sure you join us in and uh, don't tune us out. <laughs> Something like that. I forgot. Um, but anyway, we're going to be back next week and uh, hope that you tune in. Tune in to us. Until then, God bless you. God keep you. This is Pastor Neil. I'm out.